The final frontier begins. This is about saving the future of humanity. This is a huge victory for the good guys. You've never seen Voyager. Commitment to this course of action is not emotional. Study! Beam us up. Welcome to another episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. I am Brent Allen, and I've seen every episode of Star Trek 47 times. And I'm Matt Sonnenberg, and this is my first time through the series. And this is the show where we are on a mission to introduce people to the universe of Star Trek. Because we believe in something here at Beam Me Up, we believe that the entire world needs to sit down and watch Star Trek together. And we are doing that by taking a first time watcher, my good buddy Matt over there, through the series, but not by watching all 850 plus growing hours of Star Trek. Oh, no, 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 no. We're boiling it down into the best 150-ish. It's actually going to wind up being a little under 160, Matt, I believe. Uh, But we're going to wind up doing that. And uh, we're going to just boil it down to those that Matt's going to watch to give him a full understanding of those most important episodes that deal with the lore, the story that Star Trek is trying to tell, which is a big one for today of just how did it all happen? The history of the show, why it's such a cultural phenomenon. And most importantly, the message, the hope of the future, the mirror that Star Trek takes it upon itself to hold up to society. But in the meantime, if you would like to join our alliance, that doesn't actually exist, but you should join us anyway over at beamyuppod.com. And even more so, if you want to dive in further with us, join us on YouTube, which you can find on the website in the upper right-hand corner. Click on the little YouTube icon, and you can join us there to find out what goes on behind the scenes, what we talk about before the, before the show, what we talk about after the show. There's usually a few extra things that either I forgot to talk about or intentionally left out so I could talk about them on YouTube. So you should go check that out. Well, today's episodes are from season four of Star Trek Enterprise. We're encompassing the trilogy of episodes that is Babel One, United, and the Enar, or as I like to call it, the First Alliance Trilogy. Now, in case it's been a while since you've seen this trilogy of episodes, or maybe you've never really seen it, you're just listening to us. In this set of episodes, Archer has to bring together the warring factions of the Andorians, the Vulcans, and the Tellarites to defeat a common enemy. And you know who that common enemy is. Those dirty, rotten Romulans who are using an EDAR to control a drone that's wreaking havoc and sowing discord among the entire quadrant. Now, Matt, we're going to get into everything about this set of episodes. You have watched three trilogies in a row. Mm-hmm. It's been a it's been a a long road getting through these last three episodes, and uh, we are here. Like we've hit this is a this is a major major spot. So we're going to talk about all of that. But before we do any of that, talk about some other things, character actor spotlights, all that sort of stuff. Give me just your initial impression, your overall ten thousand foot view of this set of episodes. How did you like them? The first Alliance trilogy. Well, it definitely went where I was hoping it went. Mm. and gave me a little extra. So yeah, Brent, we're still in the era of this is good TV and it's a shame that we didn't get more of it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I will say this trilogy. Yeah. I, I, I feel it did slow down a little bit compared to the, the last two that we just watched. Okay. But at the same time, 
I can't say that I ever really felt bored or anything like that. It mm-hmm. just what it wasn't necessarily quite as much action, action, action. Mm-hmm. There, there was a little bit more talk. There was a little bit more uh, diplomacy going on. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't as snappy, crisp yeah. as the other ones like were. It, yeah, it, it, it still held my attention. I guess I would say more than an average Star Trek episode. Understood. Understood. Uh, Matt. I think what I'm about to say may be one of those things I normally wait for the end, but I'm going to say it right up front. Okay. This set of episodes represents a major, major step forward in the coming together of the Federation because it's literally Archer saying to the founding members of what will become the Federation, mm-hmm. hey, let's get together and work together. And they don't like each other. And and it's really because of his work and what he does that allows them to come together. And they're still warring with each other. Like they're still backbiting each other the entire time, mm-hmm. but they're, they're pushing past that. It's not everybody's just hunky dory good friends, but I felt like this was a a set of episodes that for me was like I was watching it for the first time. Yeah. And I feel like it's actually season four has been like that for me this particular round through it, probably because of how we've been doing this through this podcast. I'm watching these episodes with different eyes now. Yeah. And I thought that this was a great look at how the whole thing really started to come together. Now let's, let's be clear. The Federation is not together yet. We have not signed a treaty. They have not united as one. Like there's still four very separate uh, worlds, very separate entities. And had the show gone on, I would really assume that getting from here to actual signing of the Federation charter probably would have been several seasons down the line. And there would have been a Mm -hmm. lot more in between, but that would have been the end of the series. That would have been the end of the series. Now, I think what this also showed in the middle of that was just how fragile and tenuous the situation was. It hung by a thread, this alliance that they had. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I said this offhandedly a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, but it really stuck with me watching this particular set of episodes. And it's just how much that there is this message of the the message of Star Trek that it tries to put out there. And this idea that humanity is the hope of the galaxy. Yeah. This is what was running through my mind the whole time. Humanity is the hope for the future. These guys didn't come together because of the Vulcans and their logic, as much as people try to emulate them and, you know, hold them up as like what humans should be. No, we shouldn't be. Honestly, it's certainly not because the Andorians and the Tellarites are a peaceful people either. It's because of the unique quality of humanity that none of these other guys possessed to see people as individuals, to be able to compromise, to be able to set aside your differences and work together in order to build a better tomorrow. I can't think of a more Star Trek message than humanity has the ability to set aside your differences, come together and work to build a better future for all. Now, that doesn't mean you've solved all your problems. It just means you're setting them aside for, for something better, right? In many ways, Matt, what I immediately compare this to, and this may be the day and age in which we're recording this podcast. Now, we've tried really hard over the course of the last 150 some odd episodes to keep this a fairly evergreen show, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so people, no matter when they're listening to this can listen to it as if it's within their own day. But in the day that we're recording this, this really reminds me, uh, of the American experiment about how fragile and tenuous the situation was of very different minded people who found a way to set aside their differences and figure out how to work together to build a better nation. And it's something that in the current time we're living in, I'm afraid we've lost because our people today don't know how, or I don't want to say they don't know how they just don't work together. They don't 
set aside their differences and come together to build a better future. We just don't. We're blackballing each other. If you do or say or even think a different way, you're automatically pushed aside and not listened to. And it's very my way or the highway. But what I love, what gives me hope is that the idea of humanity that is presented here, this idea that we are able, we at least have the capacity as humans to set aside our differences, come together, compromise where we need to compromise and work together to build a better future for tomorrow, we can still get there. That's what gives me hope. You know what I mean? And that was what I was thinking of this entire time. Those were like my opening thoughts of like, sure. wow, that's what this episode really, really symbolizes. The idea that humanity is the hope of the galaxy. We, that's us. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, th- that's definitely, I, I heard Archer say that at least twice throughout these episodes. Like he basically said, you know, what you're doing is not working. Have you tried humanity? Yeah. You know, ha- so have you good. tried the human way? Right. Right. Like we can do it. I know things are screwed up right now in our world today, but we can do it. Humans can do it. And here's another production note that I'll give you, Matt, in case you didn't quite realize it in sort of a backdoor way, almost a subtle way. This show, this set of episodes gave us an in-world, in-universe, very logical reason why the quote unquote capital of the Federation is found on Earth. I did not think about that, but yes. Isn't that neat? Because we're the only ones who were friends with the other three. (laughs) Yeah. Let's put it there. Do what? We're the glue. There you go. There you go. I just, I've never, I've never thought about that because I've always, you know, in my 20 some odd years, 25 years as a Star Trek fan have just kind of admittedly thought of humanity as like the, the back of the pack, you know, like we're, we're the muscle. We, we built Starfleet. We got that part, but you know, those guys are the ones who are really helping things push forward and no, it's not that it's actually humanity at the lead. And there's a lot of pride in that. I think. I, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, at this point, like we don't necessarily have all the technology that these other races have, but we do have something that they don't. Yeah. The ability to work together. Well, Matt, we're going to get into everything having to do with this particular episode. I'm going to turn it over to you in just a few minutes, but I do have a couple character actor spotlights that I would like to point out to you. Of course, we welcome back Jeffrey Combs as Shran. Always good to see him. I got two guys that I promise you've never heard their names before. All right. But I'm going to point them out in a way. One guy, Lean Ehrenberg. Nope. He played Artellerite Grawl. Now, you wouldn't recognize him for pretty much anything, but I do bring him up because we have seen him as Grawl before this episode. You just didn't realize it. In order to do that, you got to go all the way back to the first season of Deep Space Nine. And I know what you're thinking. There wasn't a Tellerite in Deep Space Nine. Well, in the episode, The Nagus, which we watched, that was the very first time we ever met the Grand Nagus. He played Grawl, except back then, Grawl was a Ferengi. (laughs) Same actor, same character name, two different types of makeup. All right. (laughs) The other guy I'd like to point out is Brian Thompson. Now, Brian plays our Romulan bad guy, Valor, the guy who's kind of in charge of all that stuff. Now, this is actually a guy we have seen several times throughout the course of our run, our specific run through Star Trek. So let me take you through it because this is honestly the most we've ever seen of his face. For our first stop in Brian Thompson's history with Star Trek, you're going to go all the way back to the second season episode of The Next Generation, an episode called A Matter of Honor. This was the episode, Matt, you'll remember where Riker went over to the Klingon ship for a while as part of an exchange program, and he became the first officer of that ship. Well, Brian played Lieutenant Clagg on that Klingon ship, and Lieutenant Clagg was the second officer of the ship, which he was the guy who was supposed to kill Riker if Riker didn't measure up to stuff. Sure. 
Right. Uh, so that was him. And he, he was a guy who kind of came up to the end. And I, I love the ending of that episode where uh, Riker, Riker does something where he like deposes the captain and then he like allows the captain to punch him. So the crew gets his respect back. And this particular guy character, he leaned down, and he's like, perhaps you do understand Klingons a lot better than I thought you did. You know, and they, they usher him off anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, great part. Now, the second time we saw him was in the second episode of deep space nine, which was the episode where we first got a mention of the dominion, which come to think of it might've been the Nagus. Was it that episode? Sure. If you say so, it was a Ferengi episode. Anyway, uh, if you'll remember in that episode, Quark was tasked by the Nagus to go and make contact with some people in the gamma quadrant to sell them big bunches of Tula berry wine. And he mm-hmm. went over there and he made contact with these people that had red face paint and they had like, it almost looked like a British flag the way they had makeup going all over. And there was a girl and there was a dude and the dude was all big and buff and uh, he growled a lot at people and tried to intimidate them and throw his weight around. And they said at some point, if you want to do business in the Gamma Quadrant, you got to do it with the Dominion. Well, he was the dude that was all big and buff and going, uh, so that was the second time we saw him. Third time we saw him was in the movie Generations. He played one of the helmsmen, returned to Klingon makeup then, Matt. One of the helmsmen on the Duras sister ship that eventually got blowed up real good. Now, the closest you probably have ever come to seeing him outside of makeup and being able to recognize his face. Okay, you didn't get to recognize him at all because he played a Jim Hadar. He played one of the very few Jim Hadar who actually got a name. The name, I'm going to butcher it, was Tomin Turox. It was from the episode To the Death. And in that episode, he was executed for disobeying his first or his second or whatever. And here we have Brian Thompson taking the role of our lead bad guy, the dirty, rotten scoundrel, that bad, bad, bad Romulan who's just trying to start some crap in the quadrant. Yep. I do have one more note, Matt, and this one's a little bit on a sad note. Typically, this is where I'd give you sort of the how the episode came to be. Well, I've kind of got to give you a little bit of what happened because of this episode. Okay. Now, you've been aware that Enterprise has been having a really hard time during its first run on television, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've told you about it. There's been the bickering back and forth between production and the studio execs. There was a pissing match between Berman and the new studio president. Networks, individual networks kept bumping the show in favor of local high school sports. And even in a last ditch effort that they said, either get rid of Berman and Braga or we're going to cancel you. And so they got rid of Berman and Braga. A lot of that kind of stuff's happening. While I think you and I would certainly agree that Enterprise is really hitting its stride here in season four. Like they, they were doing yeah. well so, as, as often as the case with Star Trek, right? Unfortunately, good TV doesn't mean much to the studios and the penny pinchers and the people who are trying to make money if no one's watching the show. This episode, the first one, I should mention, the first one here, uh, Babel 1, mm-hmm. pulled in a series low 2.5 million viewers. That caused the network to scramble. And just a few days after it aired with those numbers, the studio then made the decision to pull the plug on Enterprise and cancel the show. So it was that, kind I of mean, the, kind of this episode's fault. <laughs> it, it it doesn't surprise me because I, I mean I do think it was the weak link in in this trilogy for sure. Mm-hmm. Like it sets up the next two episodes. Yeah, but on its own didn't do a lot. Yeah, this one. Um, but from a, from a, a first time viewer standpoint, people didn't not watch this because it was a weak episode. People didn't watch this episode because they just weren't watching enterprise for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah. Overall though, they're really hitting their stride. Like enterprise is getting mm-hmm. really, really good. It's just unfortunate that it got canceled. You know, inter- it, I, I, I use this just to say 
and I think you'll probably agree with me. Enterprise didn't do anything wrong. The cancellation was not because Enterprise sucked. Yeah. Enterprise was, go- was, was, I think Enterprise was doing better by this point in the season than most of the other shows prior to it. Like the trajectory that it was on. I'm not going to say it was perfect, but it was really good. And it, it was highly underrated, certainly in its day. It's much better rated now. And that's, that's uh, correct that it should be. Um, now, needless to say, this actually came as quite a shock to everybody in the show because they knew how good the show was getting. You know, like they were really happy with what they were doing and they knew how hard they had fought and their show just got pulled. And so basically it was after, after the airing of this. So they had, they had already produced like maybe two, maybe three more episodes after this one. And then they got word and then this episode aired and then they got word that they had been canceled. Fortunately, the studio did let them finish their season. And so that's when uh, the writers were able to kind of come back together and be like, okay, let's at least wrap up the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like now we know it's ending. Right. What can we do? Yeah. So, you know, I I don't think it's a secret that this show ends with the signing of the Federation Charter and the length from this show to then got really, really short. When I think it was actually supposed to be a lot longer. And I've been, I would have been very interested to see what a much longer drawn out time between this particular episode or set of episodes and when they actually got to a spot where they could come together as a Federation charter, you know, to, yeah. to sign that charter. I would have been interested to see that start. So anyway, on that happy note, Matt, I'm going to hand the show over to you. Take us through it. Tell us what you saw. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, things that stood out to you, all those sorts of things. The show's yours, my friend. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you, because like, like you're saying, this really is like a kind of a major point, a major time in the formation of the Federation. Mm-hmm. To your knowledge, were any of these characters previously named or mentioned prior to Enterprise? Are you talking like, was, about Archer was, or Shran or Archer, Shran, Yeb or Grawl or mm-hmm. any of that stuff? Like mm-hmm. they, they weren't names that were casually dropped back in the day or mentioned by Captain Kirk or anything like that. Not or, to my knowledge. Yeah. Not to it, my that's knowledge. kind of what I figured. Yeah. But it, it would have been interesting, I think, if, if for, you know, the, the hardcore fans of Star Trek to know that, you know, just waiting for the story of Captain Archer. Like he definitely felt like a new guy when we first were introduced to him. So mm-hmm. that like that, that doesn't surprise me, but had to ask. Now, I know you've seen these episodes 40, 47 times, mm-hmm. so it might not strike you the same way as it struck me. But the first time you see dude sitting in the chair with the helmet, with all the cables going into it and stuff. Yeah. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I don't know. What, what is it? What came to your mind? I don't know. Daft Punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, like that. that that's yeah. all. I, like in my notes, because I didn't have any name for anything at that point. I'm just like, why is there someone in a Daft Punk slash Matrix crossover uniform? Okay. Like, I I didn't know he was being controlled or anything. It's like, and, and then throughout my notes, like, they, they still didn't give me a name, didn't give me names. So it's like Daft Punk, Daft Punk, <laughs> Daft Punk. This is what I'm calling this guy. Uh, but yeah, it, it was an interesting book that they went with obviously they could create whatever they wanted at that point right mm-hmm. there, there's no rhyme or reason why something had to look a certain way they i i guess that's another question the enar yeah that wasn't something we previously knew anything about no no yeah so like i said they're they're just making all of this up on the spot basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so they they really could have done anything they wanted and uh which i mean 
We've seen that before in uh, Deep Space Nine in the episode Blood Oath. Was it Blood Oath? Yeah, I think it was Blood Oath. They told us about an albino Klingon. We'd never heard of an albino Klingon before. Sure. So, you know, and and that dealt with Klingons literally from the original series. Same character, same actor. And that was all new information. So it, it's not, it, this is not unheard of for mm-hmm. Berman era production to go back and do that. But yeah, they're, they're certainly making all this up as they go, which is what a prequel is supposed to do. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as there was no pre-written information that they needed to tie in. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, they do do that. Whatever information they had, like Uh the fact that it was humans and the Vulcans and Tellarites and the Andorians. They tie all that in. Yep. They they got those details just fine. But then everything else is open for interpretation. Mm hmm. And they, they improved on it because, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the Andorians from the original series and you compare them to the Andorians here, even to the point where these Andorians had antenna that could move. So, yes, I I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Do you know how they went about that? Yeah. There was a puppeteer off to the side with wires going up the actor's clothes and he's just over there with a, with a controller making a move. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, like part of me wondered if it was uh, like, I was pretty sure it wasn't CGI. No, like it could have been, but I was pretty sure it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like the way they moved, I'm like, okay, they could have just like programmed them to move randomly. Although there were some movements that it was like when they were either thinking or like inspecting something like the antenna would kind of like curl towards whatever they were focusing on. Mm -hmm. And like, it it was very intentional. Right. And so that didn't feel like random movements anymore. But yeah, I, I really do like the overall look of the Andorians. Yeah, like they, that uh, is very yeah. well done. Yeah, they they look super good, and like the colors just right. Uh, you know, they mm-hmm. like I said, they really, really, I, I think did it did it very, very well. But like, I feel bad for the actors and actresses who have to get. I, I'm assuming basically painted up sure. every day. Yeah, and sometimes like almost full body. Like I think like Talus. Yeah, like her at, at least her entire upper half mm-hmm. torso on up has to be all blue. Like she was just, mm-hmm. yeah, very blue. And then, you, I mean, when, when we get to the Enar, like they're all white, mm-hmm. but they were a lot more covered, had wore more like cloaks and robes and sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like neck up is, is, is enough for them probably, mm-hmm. but still that's a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of body paint. And then, you know what I mean? You talk about the, the Tellarites. I mean, Matt, I just, I want to show you this picture. This is a side-by-side comparison of the original Tellarites that we saw in the episode Journey to Babel back from TOS. It's an episode you and I watched compared to Grawl that we saw in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Now, for those of you out there that I know are listening to the podcast, I, I am showing Matt a picture that, as I just said, has a Tellarite from the original series side by side, both looks looking like, like a, a pig. pig with no eyes. Yep. And do you remember what uh, what Shran called the Tellarites? Nope. Swine. Mm. You swine. Certainly the Tellarites were, uh, were based on, on pigs, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, especially the early version, like mm-hmm. very much like that, that feels like they took a, a Halloween pig mask mm-hmm. and put some facial hair on it. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that because, and I gave you permission to go do this, but I know you have seen Star Trek prodigy. Yep. The character Jenkum Pog is a Tellarite. Once again, never thought about that, uh-huh. but sure. Yep. yep it absolutely it. is. And that's, you know, and that personality of always arguing and just saying something like they carry never, that through through Jenkum. I mean, well, I mean, I didn't know that about the Tellarites really until uh-huh. now. 
Mm-hmm. So that that never crossed my mind, but yeah. they wrote that character well. They the the people who wrote Prodigy did a fan freaking tastic job with maintaining established lore while moving forward with their new story and sure. re and, and establishing new lore. Like the there's a guy named Aaron who kind of oversaw all of that, who just did fan fan fantastic work. And I can't speak enough to what he did and how he created these characters is oh so good. So good. Anyway, this is not about prodigy. We're talking about enterprise right now. Go ahead, Matt. So I do want to say I called it um just during this episode here. I I, I have no proof. I should have like texted you or something. Mm-hmm. But when they're going through and like this Andorian, it was when the Andorian ship opened fire on Enterprise. Okay. And then they wouldn't answer the hails. Okay. And then Tran couldn't get them to abort. And I'm like, yeah, there's a third party involved. I think they're impersonating both Tellarites and Andorians, which I was right about. I didn't think it was necessarily the same ship because mm-hmm. that, like, that's what I said. Like that, I don't know how they're doing it, but that would also explain why like they have better ships and they have better weapons and, and like Shran's attacks against them. It's like, yeah, that should have been their shields. And it wasn't I'm like, well, mm-hmm. they have obviously, they're obviously not your ships that you think, you know, and understand. So I called it right then and there that it's like, yeah, there, there's a third party involved here and they're, they're, they're doing something, some kind of trickery that I'm sure you'll explain to me eventually. I always feel good when I can call those little things out. Cause I'm usually really bad at it. I mean, you, you've heard some of my guesses for things mm-hmm. throughout Star Trek and oftentimes they don't happen. The number of times I've had to look over to the side and take a drink though, Matt, uh, <laughs> there's really not much more for me to have to do that about anymore. Like, like we're so close sure. to, to where we are. Like we're, yeah. I did have a bit of a problem with T'Pol in this first episode. Okay. When they're trying to figure out what's going on and Archer looks over to Paul and like, she gave him a report about something. I, I, I forget what it was. She, she reported on something. And he's like, what do you think that means? Or who do you think that is? Or something. It's like, I prefer not to speculate. Wait, no, 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 no. Your captain just asked for your opinion on the matter. You, you do not get to tell him. I prefer not to speculate. You give him your best educated guess. Mm-hmm. He, he understands completely. That's what he's getting. Like, you're not saying 100% for certain this is it. He just wants your opinion. Mm-hmm. So I, and like, to my knowledge, I, 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 like, I didn't catch anything later that there was a reason she reacted that way or the topic that she was being asked about was one that Vulcans avoid altogether or something like that. Like I, I, I didn't catch any other little thing that they might've been referencing. So like, I, I still don't understand why they wrote it that way. In any case, I think the best thing about this first episode, cause like I said, first episode was a little on the bland side. Like mm-hmm. they needed to introduce things. They needed to move things forward. But I think the best thing was that this, this drone ship was a huge mystery. We didn't know who it belonged to. And once they got on it, even it was just like empty and abandoned. It's like, what is going on when they first got on there? I'm like, Oh, the Romulans are playing dead. Okay. They shut off all the systems. They're, they're just hiding in a tiny little room. That's not the bridge. Like they have a little control room elsewhere that like, like a, a, almost like a panic room or something, which I mean, didn't seem very Romulan of them, but, Mm -hmm. um, Still, like, because because we kept getting this shot of them in this tiny little room, and it's like they they felt very safe, and it's like okay, yeah, they're they're in a obscure little room in the back of the ship that no one's ever going to look for, and there you go. Because yeah, when they get on there and everything's completely dark and it's all there's no atmosphere and all this stuff, it's 
interesting. Interesting. What is going on here? Like that was the most captivating thing about that episode. Yeah. Then we start to learn a little bit more about it, how it has holographic emitters, which I mean, obviously different time frame, but instantly made me think about the doctor from Voyager mm-hmm. and how essentially if they could have gotten this technology a little bit sooner, if they, if the, you know, Starfleet got their hands on this technology, how much quicker they could have expanded their holographic stuff. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe they did a little bit and this is kind of where the holodeck comes from or something like that. Um, but yeah, the fact that they have these holographic emitters, they can camouflage an entire ship. They can eat like they really went overboard with this. Like they can even mimic other weapons. Like, OK, uh, it's sci fi. I'll take your word for it. But that that seemed a little far fetched, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about canon, it's sci fi. They can do whatever <laughs> they want. Yeah. I don't try to I get mean, I honestly. Can, yeah, go ahead. Disguise your your warp signature and make yeah. it look like somebody else's and like, oh, OK, fine. Yeah, I I really try not to get caught up in the uh, whoa, oh, well, how did it look like this? And if it didn't look like how can the how can the NX01 look so much better and cooler than the <laughs> than the 1701? And it was 100 years earlier. And I'm like, because it was made 50 years later, like they had better technology to make the show. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is one that gets me. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, really? They had all that holographic technology and they could cloak and describe all that. But holodeck technology was brand new on the Enterprise D. Brand new the technology was. And I get it. They're Romulans, we're Federation, but still. Exactly. And they're not going to share that technology. Like it'd have to be one of those things like they have to capture. Like if if at the end of this episode, they had either disabled, completely disabled or somehow captured one of these drone chips, Mm -hmm. that would have been a mistake. I think because then like that would have been enough like, okay, now Starfleet has that technology and yeah, it's going to take them a little while to like reverse engineer it and stuff, but not necessarily hundreds of years. I mean, so between enterprise and the next generation, we're talking roughly 200 years. Yeah. The Romulans have that advanced level of holographic technology that they're weaponizing. Right. I mean, they, they, they do, they do tell us it, 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 well, at least the first ship they called uh prototype, the prototype. Yeah. I, but I just, you know, I mean, they could have, they could have abandoned the technology, put it on the shelf, not done anything with it. I'm just saying this is one of the, like, I think they overreached with the type of technology that they had here. Um, I feel like we've seen a few times, se- well, several times over the course of enterprise where technologies a little too more advanced than it should be. And then honestly, sometimes it's a little less advanced than it ought to be. Like yeah. the fact that they have to go into a blue sexy room and rub each other down with decon <laughs> gel every couple of episodes. Well, I mean, th- that that's one of the toughest things to do, I think. Yeah. Make making a prequel in the future. Yeah. It, it, yeah. When like the original was made 60 years earlier. Yeah. Like it's it's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, the blue decon gel scenes, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not saying they should get rid of them. I mean, hey, listen. I mean, for as big a deal as you made about them, I maybe there's more coming up, but I think I've still only seen it that once. Is it really? I think I've only seen that that first time. Oh, wow. No, it happens several times. Wow. You've skipped all oh, this. I believe you. Oh, it I happens several you. times throughout the series and it's big, long. So, I mean, it's, it, it's all eye candy. It's, they're trying to sex up the show, which is honestly, Star Trek has done since the very beginning. So it's just how they did it in this particular one. But anyway, enough of that. Go ahead, Matt. 
So then we get into United. And when you gave me this title last week, uh-huh. I kind of expected like this is going to be the beginning of the Federation. Right. Like this is United is the four species coming together, the four races coming together mm-hmm. and uniting. I don't know why or how, but that's what I expected. And that's what I got. I mean, they, they set it up real early. Once they figure out like what the Romulans are trying to do, they still know it's the Romulans necessarily. We do, mm-hmm. but Archer doesn't yet. And then he gets into this, you know, we need 128 ships. Like, they, they they gave us some random reason why we need a ton of people and a ton of ships. Right. And Starfleet does not have these resources. Therefore, we need help from other people. Who are the other people available? Well, here we go. We got the Vulcans. They can help a little bit, but not enough. Mm-hmm. So who else we got at hand? Let's do this. And that's one of the times we get the the lines from Archer that I was talking about. When we're faced with a common threat, we put aside our we put our differences aside and try to cooperate. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was like his definition of like humanity yeah. or what the humans do. And there are a few just very brief moments throughout these episodes that it's like if they had drawn it out anymore, it might have actually like brought a tear to my eye. But like Archer and Tran. Okay. It's like, there's no reason our people can't be allies. And Tran just looks over at him. Agreed. I'm like, so, so good, good. Guys. Yeah. So good. Yeah. You're getting it. You're getting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with Tran and his Andorian traditions mm-hmm. and Archer stepping into fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we've seen this at least a dozen times in Star Trek. Sure. And how do you, how do you follow tradition yet get out of the fight without killing anybody? Mm-hmm. Like, how many times have we <laughs> we've seen this storyline? Right. So that that was no surprise to me. I mean, it was almost filler in this episode. Like, mm-hmm. did it really need to be in there? Right. I mean, it was once again kind of Archer stepping in and saying, "Okay, you could fight me, or we could work together," mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like he, the human stepping in to resolve the issues between the Tellarites and the Andorians. You know, Matt, I've I've said since the beginning of this show beam me up. There are episodes that get done that every single sci-fi show out there does a version of. And Mm -hmm. this particular one of somebody's got to go fight to the death. And so the captain or whomever the show's around characters. So you can't actually kill either one of them. Right. So somebody's (laughs) going to step in and they're going to, they're going to read the rules. Uh-huh. And they're going to find some sort of technicality I, to get them out of it. And like, everybody's going to be fine by the end. They're going through the rules. So there's like 1200 amendments to this, this tradition. Right. And I'm like, how traditional is that? They're like, <laughs> to me, that sounds like they kept amending it so they wouldn't have to kill people. Right. Like they, they wanted another loophole. Right. So you just need to find the one loophole that applies to your situation mm-hmm. and get out of here. Well, it's, I mean, it's like dueling back in the day when people would go out and duel, mm-hmm. like the, the number of people who went out to duel versus the people who actually got shot and died in a duel was really low. You know, I mean, we go tell that to Alexander Hamilton, like it was really low because most of the time, like nobody would ever fire a shot. You know, they just go out there, they'd get all chest buffy and then somebody be like, okay, you know what? My bad. I'm sorry. And then they, they depart, maybe not friends, but no shots are fired. Like most of the time, that's how that was, that was settled. But, uh, I don't know. Hey, fun fact. Speaking of duels, this has nothing to do with star Trek. Okay. You know that I'm from Kentucky. That's my home state. Did you know that in order to be a notary public of the state of Kentucky, you have to, in your oath, and I believe any public servant in the state of Kentucky, swear that you have never been a party or a second in a duel. Wow. Still there. I was going to say, I, lo- I so- sometimes I, those are just 
on little things that they keep in uh, in the law there. Yep. It's also illegal in the state of Kentucky to walk down Main Street with an ice cream cone in your back left-hand pocket on a Sunday. Is that Kentucky? Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly what went through my head. I'm like, yep. there are also some really ridiculous ones out there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, why was that ever a thing in the first place? Because the, the, the sheriff or the judge's son or something like that was not supposed to have ice cream one day when he had mm. his good Sunday clothes on. He, like, went out and snuck it down and he said, you know, son, that's against the law. And he actually went and, like, back when all they had to do was just write it down and it was a law (laughs) or something like that like it was the town law and it was but like that's why it was that's why it's so specific is because that's exactly what the kid did he's like oh you know that's against the law i can't do that anymore and they just they never bothered to take it off the book anyway not what this show's about let's get back to united and the enar and babel one 47 47 what no i missed it what was it oh um they must have been flying out to somewhere mm-hmm. i forget where now but it was, it was what they flew a lot of places in this episode and the line was intercept in 47 minutes nice nice that's the only one i caught though i so like it it works i like it that they're using them again man mm-hmm. very much so so i did think it was also a bit gratuitous that uh trip and reed had to physically evacuate the ship by just shoving themselves out into space mm-hmm. okay and of course, as soon as they do that, the teleporters go down on Enterprise. Right. Like, I mean, because they have previously given us the line, like, how could this get any worse? There you go. So something worse is going to happen. Now, I know you've mentioned a few times to me that if the show had continued, mm-hmm. Shran was going to kind of stay on board. So somehow it, you you assume yep. that that means he was going to be on the Enterprise. Yeah. And I feel we we, we kind of got a glimpse of that. Mm-hmm. It feels like when in the in the third episode here with Enar, like the Tellarites go home, but Shran decides to stay on board. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of get, I mean, almost a Shran episode because they, they definitely needed Tran mm-hmm. to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And they start explaining to us about this telepresence and how this works can be controlled remotely. And as soon as, like, I, I'm starting to feel almost, I kind of understand Star Trek writing in a sense. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's just TV writing in general. But as soon as Tran, it's like, yeah, we experimented with that years ago, but nothing came of it. Like, uh, I wouldn't be so sure about that, Tran. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I guess in the long run, it wasn't actually like the Andorians experimenting with with telepresence that made any of this happen necessarily. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it still could have been, I guess. I don't know. But it, it was it felt very telling to me at that point that Shran was going to be very involved with this telepresence thing that we're going to investigate. Because mm-hmm. then, yeah, then they go tell us we, we got this brainwaves, telepathic, not Vulcan, no exact match, closest Andorian. OK, so we're on the path. We're on the path here. Um, oh, I did have a question for you. OK, I think I think it was pre- in the previous episode, actually. Okay. Yes, I was back in United. And we get this shot of the Romulans. It was right at the end of the episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're, they like open up a door mm-hmm. and there's these two other aliens standing there. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize them? Oh, you should have. Well, I mean, I'm, like they, they weren't more Enar, were they? Nope. Yeah, like that. Nope. Like they, they they seem to kind of resemble Enar. Like they're kind of mm-hmm. pale like that, but I don't mm-hmm. think they had the antenna. 
Nope. And, and so like, I, I, I don't know who, should I have recognized them? You should have. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. You should have. Um, if you remember the movie star Trek nemesis, the last one we just did, uh, there is next to Romulus. There is a smaller little world called Remus. Mm. That is another offshoot of the Romulan people, but they have evolved much, much differently. They generally are not necessarily considered on Romulus to be of equal status or equal class, but certainly at times used as minors, certainly at times used as uh, security. And those, that's what those guys were. They were Remans. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause like they never mentioned them. Right. They, they were just there in that one scene kind of as like guards or muscle maybe. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I'm actually supposed to be paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. No, nope. they were, that was more of a, just a head nod, mm-hmm. uh, Easter egg, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Basically, I wanted to make sure they weren't more Enar because like after figuring out like they abducted the one, like why would there be two more just kind of standing around there? That wouldn't make sense. Right. Right. But then, like I was saying at the beginning of this thing, United was kind of what I expected going into this trilogy. Mm-hmm. The Enar were a bonus because it got to learn about this whole new species, basically. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily get an origin story, but it, it was an introduction story to them. And a good chunk of the episode focused on them. And it was a very different people and a different world than we've seen before for anybody else, I feel. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel it was fairly fleshed out. Like it wasn't just the random alien of the week that we see once and they disappear. It's like, no, we actually put some thought into these these people and like they're related to the Andorians, but they're blind. They're ice dwellers. They live in these ice caves. It's really cold down here. They have the, you know, these creatures you need to look out for. They're telepathic. They're like all of these facets. Like it was kind of a really, it felt like a thought out species race. Mm-hmm. Like they, they spent way more time figuring out the Enar and who they are and how they work way more than they figured out, Hey, how are we going to get Archer to make good with the Tellarites and the, <laughs> the, uh, Andorians? Yeah. Well, let's use that old trope, but here, let's spend all of our time diving into the history of the Enar and who they are and where they came from and why they're different mm-hmm. and why we've never heard of them before. Mm-hmm. Although I will tell you, and, and I, I quite love this. So one of the things about the Enar is that they're blind. Yes. Right. Um, in an episode, well, not in a, in the, a new Trek series that is out right now on Strange New Worlds, there is an Enar that is part of the main cast. Like he just shows That's up. Interesting. He's a cool character, a really yeah. cool character. And uh, he's, I, he is, I would hope so because I, I like the Enar. Yeah. He's, he's a, like, I really like his character, but what's really cool about this is the guy who plays him is actually in real life, legally blind. Okay. And so they allowed, you know, they, they gave him, uh, that acting spot and allowed him to play that character of what he is in real life and, and have that representation, but also also to bring the Enar back yeah. into consciousness. Cause they're a thing, right. And mm-hmm. to do something really, really cool. And the, the whole thing, like he's a pacifist and he's this, but he's, he's, he's one of my more favorite characters from the show. This, uh, the, this new show. Awesome. Now, of course they, they had to mention that like we have a strict law where we can't enter anyone's mind without permission. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. You can tell me it's a law, but there's always going to be lawbreakers. Rules are made to be broken. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was a little bit surprised that we didn't really see too much breaking of that in this episode. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling like it it, it felt very much like mind melding, right? Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to do that without permission. I'm pretty sure. That's very true. I mean, in most cases, you're just not supposed to do it, Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely without, not without permission. And so it it, it kind of gave me those kind of vibes. It's like, okay, this feels even more dangerous because you don't necessarily like need to grab their face to do it. Right. And I mean, especially when we see in action here, it's like, it's just kind of instantaneous. There's no like, okay, let me grab your face. Now let's meditate together. Give me some time. Give me some time. And like, there, there, it was just like, oh, you said I could go. I know everything. Mm. Like, that's all there was to it. Which, I mean, definitely helped with the flow of the show. Right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have to have this big long scene of how how it works. We didn't have to have this big long scene of Archer recapping everything for the Enar. Right. Explaining to them what's going on. Just like, oh, okay, I understand. And, you know, here's what I think. Here's a solution. Here's what we, we can do. Maybe should do. I need to go talk to some people. Mm-hmm. And we can move on with the story. Because theoretically, you watched last week's episode or you watched the first half of this episode. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to recap this for you. Right. Sometimes I don't know how to feel about Tran. Okay. I feel like 75% of the time, I, I, I love Tran. He's a great character. But then there are certain times where he gets really pushy, if that makes sense. I mean, the, the, the example I have here is when Archer's letting the Enar read his mind and they're going back and forth mm-hmm. and and he's laying there in the bed and the, the, Archer and the Enar are just calmly talking about things and Tran keeps interjecting like, well, yeah, that's the least you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, settle down. Like, right. what is setting you off? Like, you're getting the help you need. Like, I, I, I don't get why you're so aggressive right now. Mm-hmm. Because then we see the other side of things when Shran has his last moments with Talus mm-hmm. or when Shran is alone with uh, Jamel later on, mm-hmm. like he's like kind of super sweet, like not what I would expect, but on the good side. Right. Mm-hmm. And like Shran can just be all over the board. And so I've gotten to the point where I just don't know what to expect from Shran in any given situation. But like I said, 75% of the time, I still enjoy him immensely. But I think the rest of this was kind of our uh, action, action, action. Yep. Act three. Um, I mean, as soon as he, he had this moment with Jamel and it's like, yeah, that's my brother. And like, okay, so you're going to be the one helping us. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the next scene and they're like, yeah, the Enar don't want to help you. Like, okay, you can say that, but Jamel's going to help us. So like, I, I'm pretty sure Shran already, um, um, got this all figured out and that, <laughs> and you, you see him Shran there. It's like, okay, if you say so, see ya, bye. Right. W- without even like trying to get a second opinion. It's like, really, we need your help. You're like, no, he's, he's not pushing because he has, he has plan B already. Uh, so yeah, that, that goes forward. There's a few roadblocks, there's ice bores, there's, I I mean, for all intents and purposes, the, the mother, uh, Enar that tries to stop him covering up the exit, which that, that once again, too, like they can mess with visuals apparently and like holographically project themselves and maybe not holographically, but like some kind of like astral projection or something. Something, it looks like, yeah. like yeah. I, I mean, they have abilities, man. Yeah, yeah. The Enar are not a people group you want to mess with. Like, and I think you're absolutely right. They're a they're a cool enough group that you really kind of want to get to know them. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, 
yeah, if if there's Enar in in New Trek, I'm excited to see what they might be able to do with that. Dude, I think you're gonna love you're gonna love some of this new trick when you get awesome. there. You know, uh, I, I feel like just taking note, I think you have come to like the show more and more as we have gone on. And the closer yeah. we've gotten to today, um, I, you and I are both nineties kids, Matt, like that's mm-hmm. our, that's our time period of TV. That's the nostalgia for us. That is for us. What sixties Trek is for the generation older than us. Sure. But let's face it with technology and budgets and how they're doing stuff today. <laughs> I mean, it just, and can you imagine what happens in another 20 years when our kid, this is what's nostalgia for our kids. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's going to be something. All right, Matt. Well, uh, I guess we'll boil it down as we talk about it. And we, we go, did you like this set of episodes? Would you want to watch them again? And do you understand why they're a part of our run? I think overall, like I said, as a trilogy, I enjoy it. Uh, even though the first episode might've been a little slow mm-hmm. um, or lacking in substance, but uh, yeah, overall I enjoyed it. I don't think I'd have a problem watching it again because it, 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 I I'd <laughs> probably have to watch all three episodes together, but yes, I'd watch it again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I said, this is a turning point, man. This is, this is huge for the Federation. And that's kind of what we're working towards in this prequel is, is getting into the Federation. So uh, if you had skipped this and I watched it after we're done with this podcast, I might've questioned some things, some choices you made. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, with that, Matt, we are, we are closing in because as you're well aware, enterprise is coming to a close and there's only a handful of episodes left. Would you like to know what the next one is that we are going to? That would be useful. Well, it's been a bit of a rough couple of weeks here, Matt, as I mean, as bad as watching three episodes of star Trek in a week can be, that's not really Uh that bad. But it is a lot to prepare for a podcast. I I 100% get it. I promised you last time, Matt, that we would not be doing three episodes this week. Yes. I am going to have to keep that promise. (laughs) Okay. This coming up week, though, is still a bit bigger than normal because it is a two-parter. Okay. As we continue down this journey together, the name of the episodes are Affliction and Divergence. I do believe they are the next two episodes. And because of that, there are no extra viewings. And because of that, that's then going to do it for us this week on Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. Remember, folks, if you'd like to get in touch with us out there, you can do that by emailing us at beammeuppod at gmail.com or head over to beammeuppod.com for more ways to contact us. Matt, where can the folks out there get in touch with you on the Internet? You can find me personally on Twitter or Instagram at as a matter of Matt. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, I'd love to connect with you on all the social medias at Brent Allen live until next time, folks live long and prosper.